We turn in God's Word this morning to the Gospel of Matthew, the 19th chapter. Matthew chapter 19. We'll be reading verses 1 through 6, Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. Let us hear the breathed out word of God to us this morning. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, He went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. As far the reading of God's word, I invite you to Keep it open. We'll get back to this text uh, later uh, in the message. Let's come before the Lord in prayer once again. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the written word. So many times uh, um, it's hard to say which is right and wrong, yet we get this Bible, we get to read it, we have a choice to go back to to verify what we think or don't think. We thank you for the written word. We thank you for the opportunity to have it expounded to us. We know it will be Bob's voice, but it will be your words, and we thank you for that. May we enjoy it and worship you. Amen. Amen. A few weeks ago, uh, Sandy sent me a link to uh, an article that appeared on the Aquila Report, um, and it was uh, an article about seven verses uh, on marriage. And the background to it was the author was writing about the fact he was uh, conducting a marriage uh, wedding ceremony for an older couple um, who were very faithful Christians, well entrenched in the word. And uh, he, he said to them, he said, well, what passage would you like me to use for your wedding? And uh, he said it's the first time it's ever happened in his ministry that the couple said, Anyone will do. It's all the word of God. You choose. So he began wondering what it was he was going to choose. And he came up with uh, seven verses that he shared uh, at the wedding. And it's based upon those seven verses that we take on this uh, short series on marriage. I want to state... First of all, very clearly from the beginning, I'm not an expert. I am not an expert. I have much to repent of in my own life. I have not mastered this topic. 
but the word of God is clear. The word of God is faultless. The word of God is true, and the word of God is eternal. So I bring you not the model of Bob Van Manen, husband, but I bring you the word of God regarding that which should be. I am thankful, ever thankful, for the fact of the cross that we are forgiven for all of our failures, for all of our shortcomings. But that doesn't mean we don't need to deal with the subject. Some may ask, why start with the foundation? Let, let's deal with some of the topics that come up in marriage. Let's deal with that. Well, if you're not building a marriage on the foundations that God has given, there's no use dealing with some of the mortar problems you might be having between the bricks. If the foundation is crumbling, no matter how many times you fix the mortar and repair the mortar or repair the drywall, it's going to crumble again because the foundation isn't right. Why start with the foundation? Because that's where the Bible starts. The Bible does not start addressing the issues of how we are to live in marriages without, first of all, telling us and defining for us what a marriage is to begin with. Secondly, we need to start with the foundation because it is the very foundation that is under attack today. Some of us, perhaps, already have forgotten a Supreme Court ruling back in 2015. Yes, it's been four years already, that allowed for same-sex marriages as a right. That which we have in the Word of God here is under attack. God's Word was not considered in that debate. A couple of weeks ago, the Attorney General... And if you don't think elections have consequences, you better think again. And if you were one who sat on the sidelines back in November, one of the things you need to do is you need to repent today. Because that election gave us an attorney general. An attorney general who has declared that adoption agencies must place children with same-sex couples. An organization that many of us have grown to love over the years capitulated this past week to that request, sadly. The very next week, our Attorney General elect, erected a commission to begin to track down hate speech. My guess is this sermon would be classified by our Attorney General as hate speech. It is not intended to be that. It will not be that. But it will be taken that way. Anything that stands for that which God's Word states, which contradicts 
her own personal choices in life will be seen as hate speech. Anything that calls something a sin will be considered hate speech. The very foundation of that which we bring to you from the word of God this morning is under attack. And we all need to be on the same page. We all need to be on the same page on this. I would think, and you might presume, that I'm simply preaching to the choir. I wish that were true. But history demonstrates to us that we are not all on the same page in this regard. Certainly the church of Jesus Christ is not all on the same page. If it weren't for some very brave, courageous men from Africa, one of the largest denominations in the United States would be looking at this situation a whole lot differently. We are surrounded, my friends, by churches who have caved in on this subject. But it's not only that. We and our children are being force-fed this lie, this sin in regards to marriage. They're taught it in their science classes, they're taught it in their psychology classes, they're taught it in their English classes, they're taught it in their history classes. They're taught it in their humanities classes. And if they aren't taught it in school, they certainly are taught it by the media. And if they're not taught it by the media, they're certainly taught it by the entertainment society of our world whether it's Will and Grace or Modern Family or a host of other television programs or movie programs or music of the day. And if you are not telling your children directly God's truth, we are not all on the same page. Because one hour in church... on a Sunday morning, an hour in Sunday school, perhaps another hour in the evening is not going to ever be enough to undo the onslaught of continual, continual parading of that which is not true before their eyes. And when their grades become dependent on agreeing with the teacher in their high school or college class, sooner or later, sooner or later, it erodes away at the truth. We need to start with the foundation. I want to give you four foundational verses this morning on the subject of marriage in a very non-foundational world. 
We start in the book of Genesis. Three of them are going to be from the book of Genesis, then this one that we have read from Matthew chapter 19. So I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning where the only witness, God himself, testifies to us of that way in which creation came about. And the very beginning, God describes for us mankind. Verse 26, Genesis chapter 1. Foundational verse number 1. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Foundational verse number one. God created males and God created females. He created nothing else in terms of humanity. There is no confused identity here. There are no she-males included. It is very distinct. Man is a distinct creation. The identity of a man down to his very chromosome is unique. We as men are distinct creations of God. Does that mean we are all the same? No. Does that mean we all like playing with trucks when we're little kids? No. Does that mean we all don't like the color pink? No. It does not. But we are distinct. No doctor by an operation can change the distinctness of being a male. But at the same point, note that the verse says male and female. Not only is man a distinct creation of God, so is a female. A woman is also God's distinct creation. We are given the evidence of that when we talk about the formation of man. God goes into detail how he takes the dust of the earth to form a man, how he takes the rib of the man to form the female. God is telling us these are two distinct creatures. And that seeing that both are made in the image of God, one is not intrinsically better than the other. Males are not by some sort of created fiat better than a female. And females are not by some process of God better than a male. To claim otherwise is sin. 
to somehow think, men, that you're superior to women is a sinful thought, and it needs to be repented of. Women to think that in some way you are superior to men is a sin, and it needs to be repented of. We are both, men and women, distinct creations of God, distinct, not the same, distinct, unique creations of God, but equally in the image of God. Equally made by him. And not intrinsically, not somehow because we're men or because we're women, we are better than the other sex. We need to start there. We live in a confused world. This issue is confused all over the place. We can't even have men and women's bathrooms anymore. The foundation of marriage begins with the uniqueness and distinctness of the fact that there are males and there are females. Why? Because of the next foundational verse. Go with me to chapter 2, verse 22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. God brought Eve to Adam. This is the way God did it. This is the way God designed it. He took this unique, created individual, woman, and brought her to his unique created individual man. Will you admit that God is all-powerful? Can you admit that? God is all-powerful, right? God could do anything. Can you admit that God is all-wise? So if God is all-powerful and all-wise, if God had saw fit, to begin this earth with a million people, could he not have done so? Could not have God just said, let there be a million people and inhabit the earth. And let's have these a million people have all sorts of confused identities. He could have. But he didn't. Because God tells us that he made his creation good and that God in his wisdom says, I'm going to start with one man and I'm going to start with one woman. Not a million. And I don't want it to be a million because I want you to be understanding and clear and distinct about that which I am doing. So that rather than creating Adam and Steve, he creates Adam and Eve, and he brings the Eve, the woman, to the man, and he's saying, this is the way it is. This is marriage. 
There is no marriage apart from one man and one woman. He didn't create for Adam five women. He didn't create for Eve five men. He created them one single, solitary individual, and he brought her to him. This is the definition. This is the foundation. We begin with two distinct creations of God, a man and a woman, and then God. God. Adam didn't search out. God brings her to Adam. But now listen to what follows. Okay, that was verse 22. Then the man said, Adam says, as God brings Eve to him, Adam responds, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. That's Adam's statement. Now, here comes God's statement. Okay, understand who's speaking. Adam spoke those words. God now speaks. What is God's speech? God now says about this act where he brought the woman to the man, God says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And wife there is not another man. It's Eve. It's the woman. God's comment on the fact that he brought Eve to Adam is this. The one woman that I made is to be given to the one man that I made. This is marriage. Now let's go down through this second one here. They shall become one flesh. God ordained marriage for the purpose, this is the foundation now, that the man and the woman would be one flesh. The first thing we have to clarify is this. That's more than sexual. That, that statement is more than about sex. Because the one flesh is defined as, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall hold fast to his wife. So one flesh means a leaving and a holding fast. That's what one flesh means. A husband is to be one flesh with his wife. Now, for those of you who are thinking, ah, see, that's, that's the men. Now, Psalm 45.10 gives the same command to women. That she also is to leave her father's household and to cleave to her husband. So it's both. The husband and the wife are to be one flesh. Well, what does that mean? 
Well, simply put, it means this. That after God, because our highest commitment is to be to the Lord, that after God, a husband's commitment, his top priority, his most fundamental commitment in life is to be to his wife. Not to his work, not to his job, not to his buddies, not to his recreations, not to his possessions, not even to his own self. His most fundamental commitment after God is to be to his wife. And the wife's fundamental commitment after God is to be to her husband. Not to other family, not even to one's parents. It's to take priority over that Commitment. Apart from God, the highest commitment that we as men are to have in life is to our wife. Wife, the highest commitment you are to have in this world, apart from God, is to your husband. We are to hold fast. See, this is one reason why Paul in 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, listen folks, you can't you can't do that as a Christian with an unbeliever. You, you can't hold that kind of commitment to an unbeliever. You will never have and be able to attain the commitment that marriage requires if you are marrying an unbeliever. But of course... Sin is the great disruptor here. Sin is that which disrupts. Sin is that which distorts. Sin is that which disintegrates this. Because what happens? What is sin in and of itself? The basic form of all sin is pride. When I let my commitment to myself get in the way of my commitment to my wife, I have sinned because I've placed myself before my wife. When a wife puts herself in front of of her husband, it is the sin of pride. It is the sin of rebellion. It is the sin of saying, God, I don't have to listen to you. I got a better way. I got better reasons. It's exactly what Adam and Eve are doing when they take of the fruit. They're not thinking of each other. They're thinking of themselves. Sin is the disruptor here. Sin is what eats at this foundation of our marriages. 
And we need to realize that. We need to understand that. But it also does include the sexual. I, I don't want you to think, well, doesn't it mean the one flesh? Doesn't that involve a sexual relationship? Absolutely, of course it does. But it's not the primary. It is part of it, yes. But it is not the exclusion. Having sex with your wife or with your husband is not the basis of marriage. One flesh is. One part of one flesh is the sexual relation that God allows a husband and a wife to enjoy. That's why God commands that there must be purity prior and there must be purity during. That we are to keep the marriage bed undefiled as well as to keep ourselves pure from all other sexual relationships prior to our marriage because it is in the marriage relationship alone. So fundamental is this in the Word that when the Word of God wants to talk about marriage, it talks about it in these words. And he knew his wife. And he lay with his wife. This becomes so foundational to the concept of marriage. But you see, we live in a day and age in which that is eroded. Our society says, it's okay to have multiple sexual partners before you're married. In fact, it's okay to live with one another and to engage in a sexual relationship before you're married. It's okay. And you're going, well, I don't believe that. No, but you let your kids go and watch movies with it. You turn on the television set and it's full of it. So do you really believe it if you're entertained by the other? Do you really believe it when you don't march into the school? Maybe not march. You walk into the school. And you say, you know, my kid came home from school this week and you said something about in class about it's okay to have multiple partners because it's, it's part of the evolution of, of things and how we sort things out. That's not what the Bible says. Do you do it? Or do you just let it go? Ah, well, yeah, well, that's just the school. Yeah, but what did your child just learn? Do you really believe this fundamental principle of God's word? If so, we ought to be people of action. People who not only dig down and start making some hard choices about our ed entertainment, our education, but we start making some hard choices about how to live this in our own personal lives. Living like there is more to our marriage than sex. 
living like we are one flesh. But that then, you see, brings us to Matthew chapter 19. Because you know how this gets argued, right? If not, let me inform you. The way this gets argued is this way. Pastor Bob, everything you told us is from the Old Testament, and we know the Old Testament is all passed away. We know that none of that really responds to our life. We know that none of that is important. That's the way this gets argued. Well, that's just primitive thinking. That's caveman type thinking. That's what we're bombarded with. That we're some sort of redneck idiots because we believe those foundational verses from God's word. What do you do with Jesus then? Here is the Son of God. Here is the crucified Lamb of God, the risen, glorified, reigning Son of God, speaking to us and note what comes out of his mouth. You have heard that it was said, and I'm here to tell you, that's a bunch of baloney. You have heard that it was said back there, way back there in Genesis, with all that creation stuff. You have heard that it was said, but I'm here to tell you, there's something new. We're in a brand new world now, folks. I've come to proclaim liberty. I've come to proclaim freedom. I've come to proclaim to you that there are new foundations of marriage. Each to his own. Y'all get to choose. Don't be so primitive as to think there are men and women. Don't be so primitive as to think marriage can only be between men, a man and a woman. Don't be so backwards and naive to think this is the way marriage is. I'm here to set you free. Interestingly, what we have is not that, is it? The Pharisees are pressing him on the question of divorce. Which we'll get to someday in this series. But notice that Jesus doesn't actually answer their question right away. Why? Because the question of divorce can only be answered by the question of foundations. See, the Pharisees themselves had the question of foundations wrong. That's why he has to go back and say, verse 4, have you not read? Now let me ask you a question. Where would they have read this? Where would they have read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Where would they have read that? Now if you answered in your mind, if you said, I think that was the Genesis 126 passage, give yourselves a point. Correct. You have read. Yes, that's where God stated it. That's where God clarified it. I am in no way, Jesus saying, seeking to undo that. He is simply repeating that which we found in Genesis. Note, 
He created them male and female and said, quote, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Quote. He is quoting from the word of God. He is quoting from Genesis. And he is saying that which was established in Genesis is still true today. That foundation. He verifies. He validifies. He adds to it. He does takes nothing away from those three foundational verses that we found in Genesis. In fact, he is building upon that foundation. You want to get to the question of divorce? Well, the only way you get to the question of the divorce is by dealing with the foundational stones. Christ repeats. Folks, understand. It is a lie from the pit of hell. Understand it is a lie from the tongue of Satan. Did God really say? And when somebody says to you, well, that may be your belief about marriage, but I'm a Christian and I see it differently. My friends, a Christian would never see something differently than what God said in Genesis. It's not just being more compassionate. It is being wrong. Now, I'll grant you, I'll grant you, and oftentimes, we come to this subject and we do not show enough compassion. I am not talking about harassing people. I'm not talking about burning their house down. I'm not talking about writing mean sayings on their gate. I'm not talking about beating up the kid in school. I'm not talking about being bully to the person who acts differently or uniquely, absolutely no way. But just because we hold to that which God says does not mean we are wrong. What did we sing? This is my father's world, and oh, the wrong seems off so strong. God is the ruler yet. That's what we proclaim. God is the ruler yet. Christ, Christ's words still rule our lives. He repeats that which we have covered. But notice his warning. He goes beyond that. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together. Let no man separate. Now, Oftentimes, we think of that warning in terms of, oh, we have that in the marriage ceremony, right? And we're thinking about this particular bride and this particular groom. Lord willing, we might hear something similar to that when Hannah and uh, Vince get married uh, in May. We'll, we'll hear that, right? Let no man put asunder. And, and we're thinking, oh yeah, that couple. No, 
It also means don't pull asunder that which God has given to us. Don't change the distinctiveness of male and female. Don't change the distinctiveness that marriage is one man, one woman. Don't change that. Whoever changes that, whoever pulls this asunder, whoever rips marriage apart, you're under the judgment of God. God's judgment rests upon those who shred and destroy the foundational stones of marriage. Divine warning from Christ. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Not only in terms of the concept of marriage, but of our individual marriages as well. Let it never be said that we are tearing our marriages apart. That's the goal. It's the goal. To never be the one who tears our marriage apart. We sin. And the remedy for sin is repentance and confession and cleansing. In other words, Christ is commanding us here that we are not to separate. Stated in other way is this, work it out, work it out. Violence is never an option. Threatening divorce is never an option. And then there's Bob's favorite technique. Silence is never the option. Just avoid it. That's not an option either. That's the command of Christ, right? Let not man separate. I, you, as married people, are under the responsibility of being one flesh. And we're never to separate. Never to tear this marriage apart. We're never to do anything that would tear it apart. Whether by our fist or whether by our words or whether by the lawyer. We are under a holy responsibility and a holy obligation to work it out. Till death do us part. Oh yeah, that's in the Bible too. Romans chapter 7, 2 and 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 39. We are under the responsibility of holding our marriages together till death do us part. For some of you, that's a long ways yet. Thanks be to God. You got a lot of time. You got a lot of time to start making this right. Others of us, the time is slowly ticking. I was telling the Bible study group the other day, it's funny how since I turned 60, how many 60-year-olds show up in the obituaries. The clock is ticking. I'm going to tell you something. It's never going to be perfect. 
Wife, your husband is never going to be the perfect husband. There's only one of those. His name is Jesus Christ. And husband, your wife is never going to be perfect. But she's the one that the Lord brought to you. She's the one that the Lord has said. Don't separate. Work it out. Because our marriages are built upon these foundations. In the weeks ahead, we'll look at the other verses that this pastor shared with this couple. I certainly hope he didn't preach that whole sermon to them. It was one long wedding. And yet we need to know these things. We need to be reminded of these things. And may Jesus Christ be praised by our marriages. Last week I, I said, Sunday night, that, that one of the things that, that we have to do in life is we live a life of good works. I think oftentimes we forget that one of the good works that we show to the world, that we demonstrate to God, is our marriages. Because God's going to come and tell us in his word, your marriage is a picture to the world of Christ and his church. May Jesus Christ be praised by our marriages. Amen? Amen. Father, these are not easy words. They're not easy words to hear in the culture and day in which we live, or even sometimes in our own family or personal situations. They are not easy words to hear. They're, they're even more hard to live. But Lord, we are yours. We've been bought with a price. You've given to us the, the armor of God. Not our own armor, your armor. And we stand in the victory of Christ. That's what the resurrection is all about. We live in that victory of Christ over sin, even the sin of our marriages. This is not hopeless. This, this, is, this is not throw up our arms in despair. This is claiming the victory of Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that we might live in that victory in our own marriages today, tomorrow, till death do us part for the glory and for the witness to Jesus Christ. In his name we pray and God's people say, amen.